Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Mullen Group Limited 2021 year-end and fourth quarter earnings conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. If you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Murray K. Mullen, Chairman, CEO, and President of the Mullen Group. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you. Welcome all to Mullen Group's quarterly conference call. So on today's call, we'll provide shareholders and interested investors with an overview of the fourth quarter financial results. We'll discuss the main drivers impacting our operating performance. And we'll close with the Q&A session. So before I commence today's call, I'll remind everyone that the presentation may contain forward-looking statements which are based on our current expectations and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, and as such, actual results may differ materially. Further information identifying the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions can be found in the disclosure documents which are filed on CDAR and at www.mullen-group.com. So with me this morning, uh, is the executive team. I have Stefan Clark, who's our CFO, Richard Maloney, Senior VP, Joanna Scott, Corporate Secretary and uh, VP of Corporate Services. And I have Carson Erlacher, who's our Corporate Controller. Um, first thing we'll, we'll start with is a review of the uh, Q4 financial results and operating performance. And what I'm going to do is give you a bit of a high-level overview of it. And then uh, Stefan will get into the details a little more granular. So with the release of the 21 annual financial review in today's call, we'll officially put 21 in the history books. Uh, And as I said, today what we're going to do is focus on the fourth quarter. Uh, We'll provide insight and commentary on our results. A complete and full disclosure of the fourth quarter and full year results can be found in the annual financial review, which has been prepared, reviewed, and approved by the auditors and the audit committee. This document can be found on CDAR and on our website, www.mullen-group.com. So a huge thank you to the entire team that worked just tirelessly uh, to prepare this detailed document. So thanks, team. So clearly the number one highlight that anyone can glean out of the quarter has to be the 48% increase in revenues. And you'll recall that we completed a number of acquisitions earlier in the year, six to be exact. Uh, So we had the full benefit of these acquisitions during the quarter. 136 million of incremental revenues come from acquisition. So Stefan will talk more about the numbers in a minute. So let me share with you a few comments about what these acquisitions actually mean to our company. First off, each of the companies we acquired last year will drive annual revenues of, I think collectively they'll uh, drive annual revenues of around 500 million. So I'm always proud that when we're able to acquire good companies into our network, but bringing six on board in a year is pretty amazing. And let me tell you that these are, are all great companies. We've got immediate access to new companies, uh, customers, new markets, excellent leadership teams, and a quality workforce. And this is at a time when people are the most difficult obstacle to any organization's potential growth. So am I happy? You know it. So those business units uh, we have owned for over a year, 
Let me talk a little bit about them. Let's call them our legacy BUs, business units. They generated just over $305 million in revenues. And I just spoke about how the challenge is to uh, grow your business due to the current state of the labor market. So this shows up in our year-over-year number revenue numbers, which are up only $8 million after accounting for a drop of nearly $14 million at our pre-May pipeline group. And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later. Certain market segments, such as LTL, had some growth. But overall, there wasn't much growth in the economy, which if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Because how can you grow an economy if there's not a lot of people available and with all the supply chain issues we had? So let me be clear. What I'm saying is that this doesn't mean that the economy was bad. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm reiterating is that the economic growth is difficult to achieve given the current labor markets and supply chain challenges. Uh, Because what we did witness was that the overall consumer spend was still pretty robust. Uh, providing solid freight demand for our LTL logistics and warehousing and our newest segment, our U.S. and international logistics. I think what we saw, the big change that we started to see in Emerge in last quarter was in the capital investment part of the economy, especially the energy industry, as commodity prices have reloaded the balance sheets of these companies. So if this trend continues, and I believe it will, then we were in for some solid long-haul flat-deck freight demand, and we'll see some improvement in our uh, in everything to do with the uh, energy business in our drilling services side. So productivity and demand for uh, for pipeline services delayed us. Uh, there was a lot of de- uh, uh, hurt us last quarter. Lots of delays, delays after delays, um, and uh, the pipeline business got hurt. It is noteworthy that I should reiterate. And then in 20, uh, 2022, uh, the pipeline business will most likely uh, be about the same as what it is now. We've got to finish those big projects. But they really started in earnest in, in 2020. So 2020 was just really robust for our pipeline side. And thankfully it is because that is the impetus to fuel for the drilling services side, the drilling side, and all of our other uh, ancillary services that we provide. So um, in our business model, when one area falters, another steps up. That's what we have in a diversified business model strategy. So Stefan will be providing additional details by segment shortly, but before he starts this, his presentation, I'll comment on the newest battle for business, so that is, in, uh, is the inflation uh, trend. No denying that it exists. The challenge that everyone has is trying to stay ahead of the curve on this emerging issue. Uh, our business units have raised pricing, uh, which is why if you uh, look at our margins adjusted for uh, our U.S. and international uh, international logistics segment, which is a non-asset based 3PL, uh, if we back them out, then you'll see that uh, our business was uh, pretty much in line with last year, um, which I think is pretty commendable considering the loss of the high margin business we had in pre-made pipelines. So from my perspective, I'm very pleased. Now, however, as I've reiterated to all of our business unit leaders, this inflation issue is not going away. And they must raise prices. Uh, And I've uh, had to be pretty firm on this. Uh, I don't want to have any debate on this with me. So overall, a very solid uh, quarter, which is precisely what I indicated on our last quarterly call, where I called for revenues to be strong and operating profits to track close to the Q3 results. So we were pretty pretty spot on with that. And uh, Stefan, I think what I'm going to do is call upon you now to provide some additional details on the fourth quarter financial results. So with all the details, here's Stefan. Well, thank you, Murray, and uh, good morning, fellow shareholders. 
Firstly, uh, like Murray, I would like to thank the uh, over 7,000 people that made these results possible, and a special shout out to all the people that joined our team this past year via acquisition. I trust your first experiences under the Mullen banner have been rewarding. Again, thank you. I'll get a little bit more granular, however, our 146-page annual financial review contains the details that fully explain our performance. As such, I will only provide some high-level commentary on the quarter. For the quarter, we generated uh, fourth quarter results, record fourth quarter results, with revenue of $441.9 million. Again, this is a rev record revenue that far exceeded any previous Q4 by over $100 million, and it was achieved through acquisitions and by modest, I'll call it same-store sales growth within our LTL and logistics and warehousing segments, but this was somewhat offset by the decline in the specialized and industrial services segment. Year-over-year, year, revenue was up $144.2 million. In total, acquisitions contributed $136.1 million of new incremental revenue to the quarter. The remaining $8.1 million of growth was due to the net effect of about $7.8 million, or about 0.9% of growth, uh, once adjusted for fuel surcharge fluctuations within the LTL section segment. Sorry, an $8.7 million, or growth of about 5.9%, once adjusted for fuel surcharge fluctuations within the logistics and warehousing segment, and then a $4.5 million of growth within our drilling-related businesses within the specialized and industrial services segment, being offset by lower revenue from our construction divisions, namely Preme Pipeline, which was down $14.3 million, and Smook, which was down by $3.3 million. That resulted in net segment decline for the specialized and industrial services segment of $6.7 million. Of course, this is excluding acquisitions. Revenue also rose because of higher fuel surcharge. Consolidated fuel surcharge revenue increased by $20.9 million to $37 million in total as compared to $16.1 million in 2020, with acquisitions contributing about $10 million of incremental fuel surcharge revenue and the remaining $10.9 million of increased fuel surcharge revenue being attributable to higher diesel fuel prices in our legacy businesses. I will remind everyone this flow through of higher diesel prices is actually detrimental to margin, and I'll get into that a little bit more detailed later on. A bit more granular on uh, segment revenue, the LTL segment revenue grew by $52.5 million to $168.8 million as compared to $116.3 million in 2020. Acquisitions accounted for $44.7 million, or 85% of the rise in revenue. The remaining increase of $7.8 million was due to increases at all business units due to the rebound in the economy and fuel surcharge revenue increases. On a same-store basis, again, adjusted for acquisitions and fuel surcharge fluctuations, this segment experienced a 0.09% or nearly 1% increase as COVID, again, specifically the Omicron variant, slowed the economy again in December, and we had challenges uh, in November with flooding in the lower mainland. Revenue in the logistics and warehousing segment rose by $35 million to $131.8 million as compared to $96.8 million in 2020 due to the $26.3 million of revenue due to acquisitions as well as the $3.2 million increase in fuel surcharge revenue. So again, on a same store sales basis, adjusted for acquisitions and fuel surcharge fluctuations, we were up by 5.9% during the quarter. 
specialized in an industrial services segment uh, declined by $2.8 million to $82 million as compared to $84.8 million in 2020, primarily, again, to lower revenue at pre-made pipeline hauling. That was down $14.3 million. And Smook, again, was down, but it was partially offset by uh, a returned uh, strength in the drilling-related BUs and the acquisition of Babine um, in the spring of 2021. Again, more discrete numbers can be found on page 61 of the MDNA for the breakdown uh, by category in the SNI uh, segment here. As for profitability, operating income before depreciation and amortization, commonly referred to as EBITDA, increased by $13.6 million to 65.8. This, however, is somewhat a misleading indicator as our results included $5.2 million of Qs or government wage subsidies in 2021 in the fourth quarter as compared to $5.3 million of Qs in 2020. So uh, we measure our, the success of our strategic goals by measuring the underlying business performance without Qs. So we included within our MDNA a non-GAAP measure we call the adjusted EBITDA. This definition and reconciliation for two EBITDA or OBDA can be found on page 93, but essentially we adjusted OBDA for Qs. The underlying OBDA number adjusted for Qs was $60.6 million in the current quarter as compared to $46.9 million, million in 2020. So how did we adjust? How did we achieve growth of uh, adjusted EBITDA by nearly 30%? From a high level, it was the $13.9 million of new incremental uh, OBDA from our numerous acquisitions, being partially offset by profit, lower profitability at pre-made pipeline and smooth. More specifically, on a segment level, LTL, the adjusted OBDA increased by $8 million to 25.7 as compared to 17.7 uh, in 2020. This increase, again, was really due to acquisitions, which counted for the majority of the increase, or $7 million, being somewhat offset by higher costs due to inflation. As a percentage of revenue, adjusted operating margin, though, remained stable at 15.2% in the fourth quarter of 2021 and in the fourth quarter of 2020. Adjusted OBDA in the logistics and warehousing segment increased by $4.4 million to $23.3 million as compared to 18.9 in 2020. The majority, again, of the rise of EBITDA or OBDA was due to our recent acquisitions as they added $4.7 million of incremental OBDA, being, again, offset primarily by inflation, but you would see that manifesting in uh, fuel and purchase transportation costs. Because of inflation, adjusted OBDA margin decreased to 17.7 compared to 19.5 in 2020. Uh, again, 17.7 being a pretty respectable margin for a trucking company, though. In the specialized and industrial services segment, adjusted OBDA decreased by $2.3 million to $12.3 as compared to $14.6 million, largely due to the $5.1 million decline in OBDA generated by Prima Pipeline. Adjusted operating margin decreased by 2.2% to 15% as compared to 17.2. Again, this is without cues, so this is just comparing apples to apples. And it declined, again, due to that change in revenue mix, essentially the reduction of pre-made pipeline and SMOOC's uh, revenue. But more specifically, the $2.3 million year-over-year decrease in adjusted OBDA in the specialized and industrial services uh, segment could be attributed to a $3.5 million decrease relating to the business units providing specialized services, uh, including pre-may and spook, 
a $0.3 million or $300,000 decrease in those business units involved in the transportation of fluids and, and servicings and, and wells, but a $1.5 million increase in the business units tied to the drilling, uh, drilling related activity. So looking at adjusted OBDA as a percentage of revenue or adjusted operating margin as we've defined it within our document, it's down to 13.7% uh, as compared to 158 in 2020. Again, this is adjusted without cues, so uh, trying to compare apples to apples. That appears to be alarmingly low, but there are, we are comfortable with these results given that $61.2 million of our revenue was generated by our new U.S. and international logistics segment that achieved a 3.3% operating margin, but without this segment's lower operating margin, consolidated adjusted operating margin, again, without cues, uh, would have been, and without uh, the U.S. Uh, and international logistics segment, would have been 15.4% as compared to 15.8 in 2020. So just a small decline in margin. And I would remind the, the listeners that our U.S. and international logistics segment generated $4.9 million of OBDA in the first six months of operations under our banner. That's not a bad return on a $49.6 million in fact, uh, investment. In fact, it's about a 20% annualized re return, and we expect margin to improve over time. We have some work to do there, but that will improve over time. So in other words, this segment has low margin but is, and is pulling our average down, but terrific returns on capital. Again, without our U.S. Uh, segment, our adjusted operating margin was a healthy 15.4%, down just a little bit from the 158 the other uh, impacts on that margin, though, was the detrimental effect of the operating margins associated with the $20.9 million increase in fuel surcharge that I mentioned earlier. That resulted in a corresponding increase in fuel expense. And that uh, fuel surcharge now represented 8.4% of revenue. That generates little or no margin as it is a flow-through to compensate us for rising diesel fuel prices. So taking adjusted EBITDA and dividing it by revenue, excluding fuel surcharge revenue, and the U.S. Uh, and international logistics segment, margin was 17%. So take those two anomalies out, 17% is uh, actually pretty uh, good on a historic basis. This reinforces the uh, underlying strength of our Canadian business. Further, the $14.3 million reduction at premium pipeline revenue that resulted in a $5.1 million decrease in adjusted EBITDA. You can clearly see that, that the margins there uh, pulled us up in the past, but essentially this change in revenue mix had a large negative drag on our operating uh, margin. And I know this sounds like a lot of yeah buts and yeah buts, but these factors uh, really explain the, the degradation in margin. It's not as bad as it appears. In fact, I would tell you that it's on par, in fact, without fuel surcharge, even better. And some of these uh, factors that I mentioned that helped bring the margin down were offset by productivity improvements and the tireless effort by all of us to maintain or improve our margin in an inflationary cost environment. And if you make it to page 146 of our document, uh, you will see, uh, without falling asleep, you will see our geographic disclosure um, information. And so that essentially carves out our Canadian operations from our new U.S. operations. And you will see that our Canadian operations, again, you'll, you'll see that discreetly in the document where we achieve that 17% margin. 
So uh, hopefully that's a good understanding on why margin is down a little bit. Now looking at some other notable items, net cash from operating activities for the period was up $13.3 million to $65.8 million. So our borrowing on our credit facilities, though, did increase by uh, $3.8 million to $89 million, despite that great cash generation. But I would remind you all that we acquired direct IT for $9.2 million, and we purchased another great facility in Edmonton for our apps, newly acquired apps uh, acquisition for $8.5 million. So essentially, we would have been uh, very cash positive and not and repaying that line of credit if we didn't make these long-term investments on our line of credit. So uh, we acquired another great company, another great facility, and uh, really would have been cash positive without that. Uh, bottom line is we generate a lot of free cash. And um, lastly, our basic earnings per share was up to 21 cents as compared to 10 cents in Q4 of last year, in part because of the reduced share count as we bought back 3.5 million dollar uh, 3.5 million shares in the last 12 months. But also we finalized our purchase equation during the fourth quarter and you would have seen a change in the amortization. So we reduced the amortization, we overbooked it in the third quarter, uh, but once we did the analysis and finalized those purchase equations, we had trued up or adjusted fourth quarter down a little bit. So a little bit of an anomaly there when it comes to amortization, but nonetheless, a healthy uh, pace where we continue to increase our earnings per share, uh, you know, on a continued basis, fourth quarter included. Lastly, a quick word on ESG, which I've been summarizing quickly for everybody uh, on the calls here lately. I'd like to maybe just address our carbon intensity. So we've made these uh, acquisitions, apps being one of them, an intermodal player, and we have intermodal uh, freight moving at Clayson and others, and, um, and TriPoint. This has really resulted in our carbon intensity being down to t about 20 grams per dollar of revenue, from about 23 grams per dollar of revenue in 2020. So um, again, we are managing everything well, profitability and keeping an eye on ESG and reducing our carbon footprint and our carbon intensity yet again in 2021. So with that, Marie, I'll pass the conference back to you. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Well, this is where Murray usually gives us a nice summary of, uh, of the quarter and opens up for uh, Q&A. It appears uh, we've perhaps lost him off the call here. Here he is, back. I was on mute. Sorry, folks. So thank you, Steph, for that. 
Um, as we look, uh, as I summarize this, just there's a lot of granular information that Stefan gave us there. Uh, but if you look at 2020, 2020 was a year in which we were able, uh, you know, COVID first hit and boy, we slashed expenses. We didn't know what was happening. Nobody knew it. And this is across nearly every business, but and specifically to ours. And so uh, we did that. And then we were very fortunate to have this, uh, this really quality company called pre-made pipelines. And they just uh, did a fantastic job in 2020 in 21, everything changed. We brought people back, but not only brought people back, you started to see this inflationary spiral. Uh, so uh, really take hold. So what we took away in 2020, uh, it came back with a vengeance in 21. And I think that ends up being the, I think the biggest step change, if you will, uh, in uh, between 20 and 21. And then of course, on, uh, on the corporate side, we did a number of acquisitions. So I think that's really the, uh, the two big themes that uh, somebody can take away from the change on a year-over-year -year basis. Now, if I take a look at the outlook, there's really not much I can add. I've got a lot of people on the, a lot of questions uh, queued up here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be short on the outlook. There's not much more that I can add that's not contained in the, in the press release in the annual financial report, or, or truthfully in our December press announcement, uh, which referenced our 22 business plan, um, which by the way included an increase in the, in the dividend, but. Uh, I think what I'll just summarize the 2022 outlook as we're going to achieve record revenues. Uh, this is going to be driven by the full year results from the six acquisitions we completed in 21. In addition, I fully expect we're going to complete additional acquisitions during 22, which will drive additional revenue growth. So, you know, we're going to have record revenues in 22. Uh, we have a balance sheet that has over 150 million of available credit available. And then truthfully, when you think about the tightness in the labor market, uh, acquiring good companies with great teams may be the best way that anybody can grow at additional capacity uh, to service their existing customers. And uh, from that perspective, we will uh, do acquisitions so we can service our customers. But, and I reiterate with the but, uh, we need to see some pretty significant rate increases if customers want service. And speaking of rate increases, I tell you this is how we're going to grow profitability. Um, so this message has been delivered loud and clear to our, all of our Canadian-based companies. And I've deliberately mentioned Canada because rates here in Canada have lagged U.S. rates by a significant amount. Uh, I'm thinking in the range of 20%, which explains why the U.S. carriers have experienced such a great run uh, over the last couple of years, strong earnings, outstanding stock prices. Um, but in Canada, uh, we did not see that same uh, that same market adjustment. So we live in the envy of our friends in, uh, in the U.S., which ultimately means, uh, this is what I expect from our business units here in Canada, um, as long as the, as the fundamentals of freight demand stay as they are and uh, the, the labor markets remain tight, I suspect that will happen. So we're going to have record revenues, and I can tell you we're going to focus on raising prices because that's the step change that we fundamentally see happening in the Canadian marketplace. It's going to happen throughout 22. Um, and I think whenever you look at change, what's the change? Well, um, there it is. Uh, if I look at it from the, from the logistics business, it's going to be on pricing. If I look at it in the commodity business for the energy space, the step change is pricing increases. 
that's providing the impetus for the step change there. And I think exactly the same thing is going to happen in the Canadian uh, logistics transportation business. And uh, our job is to manage that and to make sure that we drive uh, margin improvement for our shareholders. So um, that's kind of what we've got for, uh, uh, for the outlook. Um, now, what I expect, to, what I'd like to do now, we've got some new opportunities um, that we're, we're working on. And uh, what I want to do now is call upon Richard Maloney to speak to the joint press release we had with our, uh, our trusted business partner, uh, Canadian National, here that we just did on Tuesday. And uh, I know, Rich, I've, I've asked you to kind of uh, just give, a, give an overview of what that really means and some of our initiatives, uh, what we're going to do on the intermodal business. So, uh, Richard Maloney, I'll turn it over to you, and then I'll uh, finish with closing comments before we go to the Q&A session. Richard? Okay. Thank you, Murray. So, on February 8th, 2022, we announced that our apps transport group entered into a multi-year agreement with CN in which the railway would continue to provide intermodal service to apps. So why did we do this? Well, it's about messaging and communicating to our shareholders and the investment community that the strategic shift we made a number of years ago to becoming a North American logistics leader is still Mullen Group's priority. To begin with, both Mullen Group and CN believed that this announcement was important to emphasize the strong, mutually beneficial working relationships CN and Apps Transport have developed over many, many years. It is also worth noting that a number of other Mullen Group business units have long-standing working relationships with CN as well. In addition, this announcement demonstrates Mullen Group's continued focus on building out our intermodal capabilities. Murray calls this the long mile which really started in 2006 when we acquired Clayson and was greatly enhanced when, with the acquisition of Apps Transport in 2021. In fact, concurrent with the Apps, signing, the Apps Transport signing the intermodal agreement with CN, we approved a sizable capital request to order new intermodal containers to support this planned work. This aligns directly with the capital expenditures we outlined in our 2002 business plan, specifically investments towards sustainable, sustainability initiatives. As many will know, intermodal transportation is an efficient and effective manner to move goods long distances, something ideally suited for Canada, an importing nation, and particularly important as there are fewer and fewer long-haul truck drivers. Intermodal, intermodal is also also greatly cuts down on fuel consumption and more importantly reduces greenhouse gases emissions, a cornerstone of Mullen Group's ESG initiatives that Stefan pointed out with our carbon intensity and our continued focus on reducing that. So when you combine our extensive final mile LTL network that services well over 5,000 points of service in Western Canada and Ontario with the focused and deliberate build out of our long mile service offering, with a strategic partner like CN, we were able to provide a comprehensive service offering to our customers. Stay tuned, everyone. Murray, I'll pass it back to you now. Hey, thanks, Rich. I really appreciate that update for the for our uh, investors, shareholders alike, is that uh, we've got a, a dual purpose here. Stefan talked about it. We want to make sure that we're we're doing our part on climate initiatives, and uh, I think that's an important part of ESG in it that we're focused on. 
But the second part is you've got we're going to have to be able to provide our shippers and our or our customers with uh, viable multiple uh, service offerings, and then they can choose which one is best for for their requirements. So uh, I think we've got some great initiatives. These are the kind of things that you get that I spoke earlier about when you invest in really good quality companies. And let me tell you, I couldn't be happier with those acquisitions we did uh, in 21. So we're ready for 22. We got a, a list of a uh, long list of uh, questions. So I'm going to turn it over to the operator and uh, let's get right to the Q and A session. Certainly. We'll now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You'll hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. The first question comes from Michael Robertson with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning all. Uh, congrats on a solid quarter and uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, I appreciate that it's uh, you know still early days for the uh, the U.S. and international logistics segment, uh, and we should probably expect margins to to bounce around a bit as you add station agents and build that out. But uh, sort of just wondering at a high level uh, what you saw there um, sequentially and and maybe how you expect that uh, uh, to to trend for, uh, moving forward. Well, I think it's a, you know we've got uh, first of all we've got a really good platform to build on there. A little bit of the noise comes in that our costs are going up because we're still involved in the carbo process of, and got some additional costs that we've got to accrue as a result of um, getting the carve out of the technology from uh, quad graphics into our own platform. So it's a little bit noisy on the on the expense side. Revenue side, we're, we're pretty strong. The economy in the U.S. is pretty robust. Um, so uh, on, the, on that front... Uh, doing well. It's on the cost side that we're going to have a little bit of noise in the cost side till we get that total carve out done. Uh, and then what we're going to do is uh, once we get that done, we'll just we'll really go into uh, into full throttle here and uh, challenge that group down there to take this company to the next level. So we're in the right space. There's no doubt about it. You know, we compete. They compete head to head with every one of the big logistics companies down there, uh, and they do very successfully. Uh, including new startups like Convoy and Uber Freight and all the others. So uh, we've got a heck of a great team there, and I uh, expect they'll continue to, uh, uh, to expand their market share down there once we, get, uh, once we get finished. We think we'll be done most of the car vote by the end of June. That was our original plan, and I think uh, uh, collaborating with our group down there, they're pretty comfortable that we'll be on that. So all, all, all good from there. Uh, the U.S. economy still remains strong. Freight is still moving. Um, and, uh, you know, from that perspective, we, what, we, what they watch very, very carefully is what's happening with the trucking rates in the United States because what they do is just they manage the spread between what the, what the contract uh, expense is to what they charge to their customer. So, um, really, the margin should not change uh, if the markets get a little competitive because the, then the availability of trucks uh, becomes available and prices will go down there. But we have not seen any any uh, degradation in, in pricing in the U.S. market yet. Not at all. Still pretty pretty robust. Um, and we, But we watch that every, every month for sure. 
Um, it's, uh, so, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a, it, yeah, it's a great, it's a great platform. We needed to get another growth uh, opportunity outside of Canada. This is just the start, you know, and it's, uh, we're proving down there that you, uh, we just follow the same platform we got up here. You invest in good companies with great management teams and turn them loose and, uh, reward them for their successes. So, uh, We'll probably continue to grow in the U.S. That's what our what we'll do. But you got to identify the right opportunity. There's no sense just growing to grow and then getting into a, you know, into a into a heck of a problem. So, uh, but we didn't get into a problem with this group. They they they're first class. Got it. Uh, thanks for that. Um, you uh, you also uh, noted uh, in the release last night that uh, you're focusing on a, a new differentiated uh, pricing model to help support margins. Sort of wondering what uh, the the bigger picture there is in in terms of what uh, you think that might look like. Yeah, I think what we've done in the past, this has been you know throughout history is, you know, you kind of charge the same price to everybody. And when I say a differentiated pricing model, we're saying to the customers, if you want guaranteed service, you got to pay a higher price. If you want uh, if you want to give us flexibility so that we can do it on our time and when. Uh, when uh, you know we got additional capacity, it'll sit on the dock, or it'll we'll get to it when we can. Then uh, you know that's that fits in our network. We'll give you that, but it's not going to come with that guaranteed service. So if you want service and you want commitment from this group, uh, your prices are going up pretty significantly. If you want to give us flexibility, if you have got ability on that, then uh, you know we probably won't uh, move our pricing quite as aggressively. Uh, on that side. So that's what I mean by the differentiated price of model. Uh, if you want service, you got to pay for it. Uh, makes sense. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's super helpful. I appreciate it. Uh, again, congrats on a solid quarter. I'll, uh, I'll turn it back. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Bye. The next question is from Konark Gupta with Scotia Capital. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good morning, everyone. Um, so Maybe I, I want to ask you about uh, the 2022 business plan that you uh, rolled out in December, and we, we didn't really have a chance to kind of speak uh, on that uh, broadly. Um, so you mentioned, Murray, uh, last year's acquisitions are generating about, or will generate about $500 million in revenue, um, and that's kind of up $100 million, I think, from your Q2 disclosure. So if I simply take the, the incremental there, given they were done you know, mid-year last year, uh, you're probably going to see revenue go up maybe 1.66 or so billion dollar in 2022 just by those acquisitions and perhaps there's some organic growth across uh, most of the segments so how, how would you break up your kind of 2022 business plan that you laid out uh, in terms of revenue and margin output by segments this year uh steph i don't think we we broke that out by segment uh I don't recall us doing that, did we? No, we never did give guidance to it. Uh, the previous year, we said it would be a third, a third, a third, and of course, that didn't turn out to be right. But you know, it, it's going to roughly be probably, you know, again looking at the trend uh, on the quarters, you can just adjust your models. But uh, you can see what the pace of U.S. logistics is. You can kind of see what the pace of LTL growth has been. And uh, again, I'll, I'll give it with one caveat. You've got 1.6 to 1.7 billion dollars in revenue, and again, you're not adjusting for any new acquisitions that we might do during uh, 2022 here. So, again, that mix is 
um, we can get a little bit more granular, Conard, maybe after the call once you've done your Conard, math. I, I, I think the thing is you've got new acquisitions. They're going to add about $500 million. So you take same-store sales in 22, you add $500 million, uh, or or 21, sorry, uh, annualized revenues of 500. And then I'm telling you, we're raising prices. So if you're raising prices by, and you know, 10%, that's quite a bit of money on a on a 1.5, 1.6 billion dollar company. And and, and is, is is pricing coming along with with organic volume growth, or it's coming at a cost of volume decline? No, it's right now. Uh, you're the the we we've never seen this cost curve like what we're seeing right now. Um, so we raise prices and then, you know, your next thing, you know, your costs are going up. So, uh, just about as fast or even and, and higher. So it's a little bit like the fuel surcharge. It's, uh, you know, you, you price of fuel goes up, you raise the fuel surcharge, uh, costs go up, you raise your prices. And, uh, we're, I, I would, I would suggest to you, uh, you know, we're a little bit behind on that curve because our, our teams, we said, raise your prices, and they did. And then all of a sudden, the costs, uh, we, it's very difficult to contain costs right now. So we're having to adjust rates. We do it once a year before. And now we're going to have to do it. We're already talking about adjusting uh, rates kind of second quarter. Um, I know for sure we're going to adjust rates to maintain margin. Like, I know that for sure. Uh, but our teams, I've said, you know, we're going to have this differentiated pricing model. I expect a higher margin in 2020. So they'll have to raise above what the costs are going up for sure. So, but let's just, let's just ballpark it and say prices are going to go up by 10%. Um, you know, that's, you know, on one six, that's 160 million. Just through, you know, and then that's going to flow through. The question then becomes, one: how much of that is going to flow through on the cost side, too? You know, and uh, we tried to give you a, uh, you know, a reasonable guideline when we did our our first blush at 22, uh, which suggested that's what I think is going to happen. You know, I gave a, a bit of a small bucket. But every every 1% margin improvement now is, you know, is a, is... 16 to 18 million dollars of the uh, of EBITDA. So the business units know the know the game plan. Uh, we expect price we expect prices to go up because I think the Canadian marketplace has now changed, and uh, the U.S. marketplace has already changed. That's already happened. They're not going to get big big rate increases any longer in the U.S. But in Canada, uh, I suspect we're gonna we're gonna get it. Some of the some of the things that I'm seeing now are not 10. percent Some of the some of the stuff is, you know, you've got border closures, you've got blockades, you've got less drivers that can go to the U.S. because of the uh, new uh, uh, vaccine mandates. All of that reduces capacity, and when you reduce capacity and demand stays strong, price goes up. Our job is to manage the price. And I can tell you we're 100% focused on that in 22. Okay, no, that, that's really good color. I appreciate that. And, and then perhaps my last question before I turn it over. Um, on the real estate, uh, you know, a lot of your shareholders uh, kind of wonder about what your strategy is with that real estate uh, book value you have. I think it's about $630 million or so at this point. And I'm sure uh, with, with the kind of inflation we are seeing uh, over the last decade or so, 
the real estate market value has probably gone up significantly for you guys. Um, so a couple of kind of questions, two part question there. What kind of real estate do you own at this time? And uh, what do you see or what kind of plans you, you might have for, for leveraging the, the market value strand? Well, we've got, uh, as you as you comment, I think uh, Carson, Steph, you can chime in on this, but I think the book the book value, the stated value on our books is around 620 million, 625 or something like that. Yeah, That's not market right? value. Yeah, 630. So, you know, you've got uh, the real estate that we hold in uh, in the crazy markets in Canada, which would be uh, Vancouver, which would be the GTA, and some of those markets are, you know, it's through the roof. Uh, you know, we're talking about multiple multiples over our book value. And then we've got some absolute strategic assets in, in Calgary and Edmonton that are tied to rail. Those are irreplaceable assets. So, you know, we've got lots of, uh, uh, you know, our book, our market value of our real estate is higher than the book value. Okay. Just, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. My strategy is real simple. We got one of a really, really great asset and it's called real estate. You got to own real estate in a, in a rising inflationary environment. And I suspect that when uh, when we go to renew our debt our debt uh, facilities, that that's going to be a pretty darn good uh, uh, leverage that we'll be able to use with our debt holders to say, this is a fantastic asset, and I think we'll be able to uh, add some additional liquidity to our business so we can grow through acquisition. That's our strategy. Okay, that, that's pretty simple then to you. Thank you. Our next question is from Kevin Chang with CIBC. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my question. Um, j just on the repricing opportunity you, you mentioned here, Murray, j just wondering, like, how much of the book of business do you think today is maybe below uh, a pricing level you think is acceptable? And, and how much of that can you reprice? In, in other words, do you have contracts in place that maybe – uh, you know, pu push out when some of that repricing can happen, just just because you're under a contra contractual obligation to to provide that service under under a previous rate. Yeah, I think we've got some of that. You're never, you know, I think that uh, in 21, Kevin, nobody that was pricing in Canada was factoring in an inflationary uh, spiral that. Uh, you know, that really happened, particularly in the last half of the year. It's just, it's, it's just absolutely exploded. And by the way, we're not the only ones that are talking like that. Our Bank of Canada governor's talking about it, you know, and everybody is now, inflation is now totally embedded within the, uh, you know, within uh, the Canadian landscape. Um, so we, I think what we were is basically behind the curve on some of that, a little, you know, a little cautious on pricing improvement. And you got to remember, this is the first time in decades where you've had an inflationary environment like this. I don't think that's the case now. I'm telling all of our business units, don't be shy. Uh, you know, and this is, uh, uh, we expect pricing, you know, pretty significant pricing increases to, to happen. And by the way, we have to have that because driver salaries are going to go up quite significantly. Uh, we already know what's happened with fuel. You can't get new equipment. New equipment's going to be up a bit to 20%. Uh, so we're, we're not talking about five anymore, Kevin. It's it, it's got to be significantly higher than that. And then our job then is to get uh, um, a little is to get something higher uh, 
than what the cost is. And that's going to be our job as a senior team is to improve the margin in 22. And it's got to come through pricing. And then hopefully we can mitigate some of our costs by being smart. But you can't mitigate driver salaries. That's a that's a market driven thing. I mean, you got to pay what you got to pay, just like for fuel. So um, right. Uh, well, I think where where you get some of our margin degradation. Stefan talked about this. Is we have moved our business away from owning the asset to being non-asset to being you know really asset light. So you you know, and our asset based businesses, uh, we expect twenty percent margin plus. If if we're buying the asset the truck, the trailer, and everything, we expect 20% plus margin. If you're using all subcontractors, well, you're not going to make 20% because the contractor is going to make it, make that. So in our, in those where we have no assets, uh, you know, you're, you have a, you have a, a, a much lower margin than when you would on there. And that's kind of our game plan because uh, what we do is just manage the spread. So we have a nice mixture I expect when we when we invest the capital, we expect 20% margin plus businesses. When we just have a, uh, logistics or asset light, then the margin goes down. And we've been moving more and more towards asset light business where we're not making the capital investment. We love to invest in real estate because it's long-term. Uh, we love the intermodal business because it's long-term. Right. That, that, that makes a ton of sense. You can still generate good, good ROI on... Um... To us, it's all about do we generate cash and a return on the cash we invested. We're, uh, we're still Warren Buffett disciples here at Mullen Group. M- m- makes sense. You know, uh, it, it's, you, you, you've made a comment a few times that you think there's a structural change in the Canadian freight industry. You know, it's, it's, it's been underpriced for a long time now, and, and, and maybe that's starting to change and, and maybe following what what we've seen south of the border. Are, are you seeing any behavioral changes with with your shippers or, or your customers? You know, to the extent they have a crystal ball, they've seen how disruptive it has been to to shippers south of the border if they did not secure capacity ahead of time. And if, if and if and if you know what you're calling for is something maybe similar to what we've seen in the U.S. the past few years here. You know, is, is that incentivizing shippers to maybe you know? as you mentioned, maybe uh, lock in some dedicated capacity, lock in rates maybe at a higher level, but knowing that uh, there's, you know, there's consistency of service. Are, are, you, are you seeing any of that behavior change if, that, if, if, if what you're calling for is really what's happening? Truthfully, Kevin, I haven't seen that yet, um, at least in the Canadian marketplace. Um, by the way, no customer that I know of yet, and I've told this to all of our group, has come to us and offered us a price increase. Uh, we got to go ask mm-hmm. for it. we got to go tell them, if you want service, this is what you will pay. So these are awkward discussions when you haven't had these discussions for a long period of time. So, um, you know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but uh, but net-net, prices are going up. Um, some customers, I, I think generally, though, people are, all the customers that we've had are, 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 are receptive to the pricing increases. What we are still involved in, nobody just accepts a huge increase. There's lots of debate and, hey, can you mitigate? Can you do this? Can you do that? And that's where I want to give our customers the option of what do you want? If you can give us time and you want to move it intermodally, that's probably going to be a much more efficient, uh, cost-efficient way for you than if you want truck and you want it delivered tomorrow. That service is going to cost you a lot of money. 
And so um, we have to manage it, Kevin. Uh, I know prices are going up, uh, but, uh, you know, the market will pay if they have to pay, not because they want to pay. No, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's a very fair statement there. I'll leave it there, Maria and team. Thanks for taking my questions and congrats on a solid Q4 there. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate that. Cheers. The next question is from David Ocampo with Cormac Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Murray, Murray, you mentioned that uh, acquisition should continue to be a story here in 22, but when I look at your outlook section, your uh, annual release there, you called out being uncomfortable with the current valuation expectations. So, so how should I frame those those two comments together? Well, I think that's the you know that's the the, the tug pull that we're going to have, uh, David, is that if you think about it, a seller is now saying, uh, well, my I'm going to get pricing increases, so I want, you know, I want higher valuation, and that ends up being the, uh, I think that ends up being the, uh, you know, the difference of in uh, between what we're paying for and what we expect. So um, we just have to manage that. I mean, you've got to find a, a happy medium. And so everybody tells me they're raising prices all these guys that are trying to sell their businesses. Well, I'm going to raise my prices. Well, then go raise your prices and show me because um, I want to see how it works out before I before I invest uh, money in your business. Where we would invest if it's when we think we get a really quality company with a great workforce and great leadership, just like we did last year. We'll continue to uh, look favorably at, at acquisitions like that, but I'm not going to go some of these businesses just you know they need to be uh they need to get their shit together and raise some prices and get their margins up or they need to get out of the business that's how simple it is right and i guess just as a follow-up if you if you can't get anything across the line this year how would you prioritize your free cash flow is it just paying down debt dividends and, and buybacks or buyback shares we already increased the dividend for this year uh, really comfortable with that, and uh, I can tell you right now, we're really, really comfortable in making a uh, uh, buying this really cheap company. It's called MTL. Perfect. That, that's it for me, Mary. I'll hand the call over. Thanks, David. Bye. The next question is from Walter Sprocklin with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, uh, hey, Murray, how are you doing? Good. Good, good. So so just on, um, you know, your outlook for December, just to recap what I think I've heard here is that you, you, you gave an outlook for December. You highlighted that Canada was behind the U.S. We've heard from one of your key competitors here that that was true, but no, now the gap is closing. Canada is getting its act in gear, uh, getting its act together, um, and now conditions are have improved significantly that will allow you to to drive price in Canada at a much better level than you saw in December. Is is that a fair is that fair to say? To the, summarize? I think that's the expectation, Walter. Is that uh, is the gap is going to narrow between the two markets, Canada and U.S. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And I have not spoken with Mr. Bedar, but I can tell you. 
it's the market. So he sees it from his perspective. I see it from ours. So that tells me it's a market force is that prices are going up because they have to. And it's that, that gap is going to narrow when that narrows. Then uh, I think that uh, what you're going to see is margin improvement. So when people, what's going to change in our business, there's not going to be substantially more revenue uh, uh, economic growth. Uh, the economy is kind of growing at about what it can right now. It's you've got a tight labor market, you've got uh, supply chain issues. We, we just can't grow much more. Where it is going to, where we do see the step change, is um, is in the cost side and uh, appropriate pricing levels. So, how much? I've just said, you know, I gave my best guess that we're going to improve margin. We're going to strive to maybe improve margin by one percent or something like that. That's eighteen million, but uh, you know. Um, that that was just my best guess in December. And this is a very fluid market right now. Like some of the stuff I'm seeing, this is not like 1% margin. This is quite significant. Uh, so we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, I'm just telling everybody prices are going up. I think there's a step change that's happening in the logistics and Canadian trucking business. And our job is to manage that and drive margin and it's going to come from pricing leverage, period. It's just that simple. So I think there's going to be a step change. And then, it, you know, you'll be able to monitor us every quarter. How are we doing on that? Now, you start the year, yeah, we got pricing improvement, and then you're sitting at the borders waiting because there's, uh, there's backlogs, there's protests. Whenever there's a protest, it didn't matter if it was protesting the pipelines. It didn't matter if it's this protest, that protest. When there's protests which are really labor disruption moves, then, uh, you know, it, those are awkward times and they kind of, you know, they, you know, you, you, you don't have good productivity and, and those kind of things during that period of time, but protests don't last forever. They'll go away. What I'm talking about is the trend. And I think the trend is higher prices. And I think that will be the friend for those people that uh, know how to take advantage of that. Okay. Um, you you you, you know you, you highlighted your intermodal deal with CN um, as you know and I know I've asked you this in the past CN is is currently examining how they're going to operate their intermodal uh, segment from from that trucking side particularly with with their transacts and H&R and so on um, you, you appear to be getting a deeper and deeper relationship with CN on the intermodal side um, you know, it, it, it does it stand to reason that there could be further uh, further uh, 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 partnership here if if they do indeed go ahead with that kind of JV model that they've talked about, uh, or on the flip side, if they didn't go with Mullen on the JV model and went with another player, do you see that intermodal business uh, that you you've announced with CN at risk uh, in the future? depending on who they go with, if they do JV with someone else? Um, well, I can't speak for CN. I'll let you can talk with them. They've got their uh, their strategic plans and their initiatives, and I'm not privy to them and uh, whatever. Suffice to say, I'll look at any deal that comes up uh, across our desk. So I can speak of what we would look at. 
And by the way, I looked at the H&R assets before, and I looked at the Transax assets before they bought them. So it's not as if this is new to us. Uh, but if it comes our way, we'll re-engage and we'll look at it and we'll see, does it make sense for Mullen shareholders and for our business and for our customers? Absolutely, we'll do that. Um, am I worried about if we don't get it? No, because we don't have it now. So all we're talking about, if it makes sense, then uh, you know we, we will certainly uh, put our best foot forward and you know, and, and whatever, but he, but the steps that we're taking, and Richard talked about it, we, you know, we continue to get, uh, we're going to move more and more towards uh, providing a full intermodal long mile uh, service offering for our customers. Intermodal is the way of the future for the long haul, for the long mile. LTL, your regional network, that's delivering to the customer. So we've built out an excellent platform in LTL. Now we're building out the long mile, and intermodal will be a very, very critical part of it. CN, you know, we engage with our friends at CN because you can just you can just see, look, they they know that we're going to be we're going to be a, a player, and uh, they'll want they'll want to engage with us because we move a lot of freight with them. They're a big subcontractor to to our group. So uh, we're going to continue. And then you, you saw, we've already put some, uh, some nice little capital addition, a lot more capital into intermodal trailers than into trucks. Trucks use fuel. Trucks have drivers. Trucks have repairs and maintenance. All the three big costs in trucking, they're going through the roof. In intermodal, it's, we've signed a long-term deal with CN, uh, which gives us price stability. Finally, just on technology here and, and the continued integration, a little bit on the edges at least, on intermodal with trucking and so on, I noticed that Union Pacific, through its logistics, has done some interesting moves here, uh, acquiring transload facilities, but recently um, partnered with Too Simple to, um, to, to, to go down the path of autonomous driving uh, and, and really taking a, what we all viewed as a conceptual down-the-road kind of idea and really now starting to invest dollars in it and test out equipment and so on. What, what, what's your view on, on that whole path? Are you going to be a wait-and-see and see how it develops, or is it possible that you start, start looking at some ways to integrate more with rail by investing in autonomous driving well uh you know i think there's a there's a way for autonomous vehicles but uh probably in my career uh the rest of my career the, the autonomous vehicles will be uh on uh used when they when they're on a specific site like in an intermodal yard where you can ring fence uh you know all the parameters in there uh we already know that they're using Autonomous trucks and a lot of the mining, even in the in the oil and gas business, so up in the oil sands, and whatever, using autonomous vehicles on platforms where you just program it in and say, here, here's what you do. Uh, going over over the road, nah, I'm not. That's not going to happen in my lifetime. I don't see that. Uh, our autonomous truck is going to be that intermodal platform. That's where we're going. Will you have autonomous trucks in our yards? 
to move a freight and equipment. Yeah, I can see that happening, but uh, it's so early stage. Right now, what we're, I'll tell you what we're really focused on. Uh, I'm really focused on making sure we have the right strategic assets and facilities. Um, we're going to continue to invest in facilities. Um, if, you don't have, if you don't have facilities, you're not going to be a player in this game. So am I happy with our real estate portfolio? <laughs> Take it to the bank, shareholders. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, do I want more intermodal? Yeah, but boy, they're expensive. Uh, we've got some good platforms now, and we'll continue to add where we, where we can. So, uh, but, you know, on the technology side, yeah, technology is just going to continue to evolve. We all know that. And, uh, you know, it's, you, whether it's going to be one big blockchain where everybody in the world goes through one technology, I doubt it. I think there's going to be uh, just a continued evolution of technology and uh, integration of service providers into one platform. If you want to call that blockchain too, go ahead. Uh, but we'll be, we'll be more integrated in with your service providers, no doubt about it. Okay, appreciate the time as always, Murray. Thanks. Thank you, Walter. Good chatting. Cheers now. Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one. Our next question is from Matthew Weeks with IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. I, I just wanted to touch, first of all, uh, you briefly mentioned uh, disruptions from uh, uh, blockades and, and protests and that sort of thing in the business. I'm just wondering if this is anything that's been material so far uh, in the quarter or, or if you've for the most part, been able to work uh, around any any blockades or disruptions of that sort? Well, it's been a pain. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, but as I said, we've, we've endured many, many blockades over the last bit. Uh, in the fourth quarter, we endured the floods blockades. You couldn't get through the road. So uh, this one... You know, the other one was uh, Mother Nature. This one appears to be it is man-made, but it's, so it's a disruption. But, you know, you have to work around it, and costs are going up. So you avoid those areas, uh, but you have to tell the customers, well, avoid it. If you're stuck in the middle of it, yeah, we've had some, some disruption there. But our business is totally diversified uh, across uh, so many different platforms. And, uh, you know, we've had some disruption, and then we've had some gain. So net net, I don't, I you know, I I don't think uh, you're going to hear me say, oh my God, uh, these things destroyed our quarter. I don't, I don't think you're going to hear that. Um, uh, are they a pain? Yes, but uh, as I said, most disruptions are a pain, so we just have to work around them. Okay, I, I know, one, I know one, I know one thing that happened that happens if we're taking that freight. And you're going to and from the United States, uh, as an example. I can tell you the rates are up pretty significantly right now. Okay, thanks. And speaking of rates and, and pricing, there's been there's been a lot of talk on that today. Uh, so so if I could just try and summarize it a little bit, would you say that overall demand remains strong in the business, but on the volume side, capacity is tight. So Mullen will be able to leverage pricing to meet the higher costs and potentially even leverage pricing increases over and above to capture incremental margin. Is that correct? Yeah, you've summarized it uh, better than maybe I did, Mark, which is demand remains pretty strong. It's not growing. I want to make sure that I, you know, that uh, I'm clear with everybody on that. I think it's kind of 
it's it's not bad, but it's not growing. Capacity is the thing that has tightened for the reasons we talked about. And uh, so that tells me that uh, price is going to go up. Our job is to is to uh, move the pricing over and above uh, our co- our cost push. And uh, myself and Richard particularly, and even Stefan and Carson, we're on we're on top of our business units all the time. Um, you better make dang sure uh, that you've moved your pricing. Don't come in with your with your monthly numbers to me that says you know we were busy but we lost, we didn't do well. Uh, that you wouldn't want to have that call with Marie and Richard these days. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And my last question is more macro. I think if you look at the recent supply chain bottlenecks and, and inflation going on globally, it, it's highlighted some some weakness in, in global supply chains and logistics networks. Would you say that this is positive for the business overall in the long term when you consider the investment needed to to bolster these networks, investments needed in technology, and on the 3PL side of the business and that opportunity as well? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point, Mark. I, I think where you're finding where there's huge uh, pricing leverage is really not because of a lack of technology. What technology, I think, allows us to do is is be more productive. Where you're having the bottleneck is, and let's look at at ocean shipping. Demand went up, but you couldn't add any supply. Like you don't go build a ship in a day. You don't build a new port. And then things got bottlenecked. So, you know, those those container ships were coming from Asia over to North America. Instead of being on the water and in port uh, on total rounder being 45 days. Well, they're, they're sitting in port waiting to get offloaded because it's bottlenecked because there's not enough capacity to move it out of there efficiently. So they're sitting out in open water for 15 days on both ends. Well, that adds 30 days. That takes away how many rounders you can, you can do. So there was actually a capacity reduction of available ships because they weren't productive. That is kind of happening in trucking now. Our, our, we're, we're not as productive as we once were because there's all these new safety protocols. There's vaccine mandates. There's this mandate. It's just another form of regulation. And you cannot add capacity today in anything. Nobody, there's nobody's building a new facility in trucking. It's too expensive. So I, I think it's it's the capacity. We can't add supply, which means that if demand stays strong, price must go up. Okay, thank you. So that's helpful. I think this is. I think that's why I think it's a step change. And, you know, it's, uh, it could, you know, this could be, uh, it could be a trend that's here for, for, for quite a while. Okay, thanks. Absolutely. That's helpful. Uh, that's all my questions. I'll turn it back. Thanks, Mark. Good chatting. Bye. This concludes the question and answer session. I'd like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mullen for any closing remarks. Thanks, folks. We've taken up enough of your day today. Uh, Wish everybody uh, well, and uh, we've got a lot of work to do in 22. Uh, I can tell you our team is totally focused, and you've heard uh, how what we're going to be focused on. So thanks so much. We'll talk to you after Q1. Cheers now. Bye. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines.
Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.